Welcome to Just A Chat With, a video podcast series where we talk branding and creativity with the world's best in class. In this podcast, we hope to inspire creativity and bravery in you. This podcast is proudly brought to you in partnership with the One Club for Creativity and powered by Made Brave, a global strategic brand agency. We help brands find their brave. Hey guys, Andrew Doby here and welcome to episode 28 of Just a Chat With. In our previous episode, we sat down with Claude Silver, the Chief Heart Officer at VaynerMedia, which is founded by Gary Vaynerchuk and has offices in New York, LA, London and Singapore. Claude has over 20 years experience in positive psychology and leadership positions in brand strategy and is nearly seven years into her current role at VaynerMedia, where she oversees talent management, retention, L&D, coaching, people operations, recruitment, and especially culture for over a thousand people now. Uh, I had an amazing chat with Claude and could have talked for hours about culture, about what makes great culture, and about how she keeps that keeps that running at VaynerMedia. So if you haven't done so, please check that out. We had offer author, sorry, and founder of Eat My Words, Alexandra Watkins, special effects supervisor who built the DeLoreans from Back to the Future, Kevin Pike, and many, many more. And we also have loads of amazing guests on the way um, in the future. In today's episode, though, I sat down with Chris Doe, Emmy Award winning designer, director, CEO, and chief strategist of Blind and the founder of The Future. Uh, Chris has an amazing story, is a very well known um, person online. And uh, we talked a lot today about branding, about what makes brands. Um, we talked about personal branding. We talked about the future of education and how he's building an education platform to help creatives. Uh, become the best version of themselves and run sustainable business. Uh, Chris was a delight to talk to, so you're going to have uh, a really enjoyable episode ahead of you, and I hope you enjoy it. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 28 of Just a Chat With. I'm your host, Andrew Dobby. Today, I'm very excited as we're here with none other than Chris Doe, the award-winning designer, director, CEO, and chief strategist at Blind, which is brand strategy design consultancy. Chris, based out of California, is also the founder of The Future, which is an online educational platform with the mission of teaching one billion people how to make a living doing what they love through various online courses and tools to help you build better design skills and better creative businesses. His YouTube channel for the future now has over 1.8 million subscribers. Is that right, Chris? Or just, just over 1, 1 million, isn't it? Yeah, it's just a little over 1 million, about to hit 1.1 million. Wow, congratulations, congratulations. His company Blind was founded in 1995 and is a pioneer of motion design. Today, Blind continues in the tradition of excellence by bringing a world-class team of strategists, designers, filmmakers, writers, and animators to create truly memorable video content for clients such as Snapchat, Nike, EA Sports, and Microsoft, to name a few. Chris currently serves as the chairman of the board for the Society for the Promotion of Japanese Animation and as an advisor to Saleshood, which is a sales enablement platform. He has also served as an advisory board member for the AIGA LA, Emmy's Motion and Title Design Peer Group, Otis Board of Governors, Santa Monica College and Woodbury University. 
Chris, thank you so much for being here. It's really nice to have you. How are things? Things are good, Andrew. Wow, that was an exhaustive intro. Woo. I, I'm amazed I got out. It's the, there was a lot there. There's a lot of tongue twisters in there as well. So I got through it. I got, cool. got through it. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how's 2021 been treating you so far? Ooh, it's been a long, hard year for everybody, right? Since we had that lockdown in March here in the United States. And I, I think my mental state is fatigued. My body is just out of shape. And I just can't wait for us to be able to start to travel, to move around the country again, to go out to eat and have a nice, a nice lunch or dinner with friends. And I'm really looking forward to that. I think I'm at the end of this. Yeah, yeah. So, it's how how much more can our bodies and our minds kind of continue with this kind of rule? It just feels like one long day since last March, doesn't it? Like since yes, a year it does. Ago. It does, and it's taking its toll for sure. Yeah, and and how 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 has it affected your business? Has it been positive, negative? You know, the changes. You know, some businesses thrive through it, right? Some are unfortunate. It's kind of down to your luck and client mix and everything in between. Yeah, so I think the last year has been somewhat challenging and we got through it. We we wound up at the exact same revenue the previous year. So I'm I'm mm-hmm. thrilled for that because I know a lot of businesses have gone out of business. Yeah. Yeah. And how's how how have you found the kind of cultural aspects with your team? You know, I presume you guys are all completely remote as well. Is you know, how how have you found that sort of transition? Yeah, I think before the the lockdown happened, we were already starting to work remotely. Many people were just electing to come into office on different days. I think we got together in the office mostly so that we can connect, just to have social interaction, have conversation. But since the lockdown happened, I think everybody has just uh, just gone full on remote. And it's it was challenging at the beginning, but then for some people, it's really liberating. For example, I have a young woman who works for me. And yep. her family's based out of Canada. So she was able to return and work from home, like truly from home home with her mm-hmm. parents. And it was really good for her. And I think uh, being stuck here in L.A. without friends and family would, would have been miserable. So I'm glad to hear that that worked out for her. Yeah, it's nice, it's nice to see companies embracing the change, isn't it? And kind of, you know, going full into, you know, we've we've in our own agency have kind of gone to a kind of full work wherever you need work whatever time you need work to a kind of full flexibility kind of um policy and i think do do you think that we'll see businesses going back um or do you do you think you know do you think there is this now new kind of change that's that's going to stick around i i think it would be a, a tragic thing for us to go right back to where we were I think there are some things we need to learn from how we live and how we work, the return to neighborhoods, understanding insourcing instead of outsourcing, and making sure that our supply chain isn't wholly disrupted when a pandemic like this happens, right? Mm. And so there's certain things like from uh, just, just I'm not even talking about work, but just how we we live and work with people uh, Mm -hmm. in terms of like our neighbors and, and the return to neighborhoods, as I mentioned. But the other part of it is that a lot of companies realize very astutely, it's like, we don't really need people to 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 watch over for them to be productive. And actually, they can be more productive off-site, allowing them not to waste time in travel, in the commute, and allowing them flexibility to take care of their, their lives, their families. And it would be horrible for us to go back and say, well, I know that worked, but let's go back to this other way of working, which wasn't working for everyone. So for yeah. sure, I, I hope that's that's not the case. Yeah, and and obviously you're you're running the two businesses, Chris. Like, you, and you're one of these people that 
for me, it feels like you're everywhere. Once you come into the crystal bubble, right? That every time I pop onto LinkedIn, there you are on YouTube over here, you know, Instagram, here it is again, right? And, um, you know, I know how much it takes running an agency. So it's a lot of hard work. And you're also running uh, Future at the same time. Kind of what, 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 what size of team have you got? What support have you got specifically around you in terms of kind of helping you? Because you, there's so much time. I mean, you're here today with me. Thank, you know, you're, you're, you're being gracious with your time and giving us, you know, to do this. So, so how, how have you built that support system around you? Yeah, I, I think we are 12 people and we might be more or less. I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not even in charge of everyone. I, I just try and, <clears throat> excuse me, I just try and focus on the content part mm-hmm. and being visible to, to people who are, are looking for us in terms of like being able to, to do podcast interviews like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, to run my pro group and to create content for for places like Clubhouse and YouTube, I do want to make a, one clarification. As you were doing in the intro, Blind mm-hmm. exists as a as a legal entity now. It doesn't. We don't actually do any more client service work. Oh, so okay. that's probably a way for you to process. Like how how can I do all this? I okay. can't. <laughs> so in December of 2018, mm-hmm. we made a pledge to ourselves if we could try to sustain ourselves just doing content and doing education. And I'm mm. happy to report back to you that I've not had to take on any client work. So we finished all our client work in the beginning of 2019 and thus far have been able to say no to every single client uh, that's come and asked us for, for help. It was really hard at the beginning because the money was so attractive. These yeah. are like high six figures. And I was thinking, oh man, how are we going to, we have to sell a lot of courses to make up for that. But we stuck to our guns and, and I've been really happy. So now when work comes in, I just prefer it to people that I know, friends and and people who are qualified to do the work. I love it. So now this starts to make sense for me because my perception was that you were still running both. And I can get that. I think, you know, you know yourself, right? Scaling a service-based business is hard, right? Now you've taken your knowledge and you've now figured out how to scale your knowledge. And it's no longer based on the amount of people that you have in the team. It's now based on what you can give, which leads nicely into where I was actually thinking was that, you know, you have this, you've set this vision of, you know, teach a billion people. And, um, you know, I suppose it's no mean feat to, to, to get in front of a, mil- a billion people. Right. But, um, right. you're, 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 you're taking big strides, right. We've, we've just talked about that. You already have, um, a million subscribers, which is not an easy challenge to, to complete. So again, com- congratulations on that. I I'm interested and, um, in this kind of vision creation, right. And, um, you know, you, you see kind of Gary Vaynerchuk, you know, talking, he wants to buy the New York Jets, right? And I think it's great because yeah. the following get to, you know, I almost, I want to see him, I want to see him buy it, right? Because I want to see it be completed. And and likewise, with your 1 billion, I think it's it's, it's so, there's something great in it that I want to see you <laughs> educate a billion people. I, I, I want to see Crystal complete, complete that challenge. So I'm interested to you, how important do you think the vision piece is both from an internal brand piece for your team and for your external following and for that content creation and YouTube channel? I think having a very clear defined mission or vision is really important. And it came out of a debate discussion that was happening in my management meeting with my team. Mm-hmm. And they were asking us, asking me very specifically, like, we'll help you do whatever it is that you want. But what is it that you want to do? Uh, are we trying to make money? Are we trying to release courses or what the heck are we trying to do? Mm-hmm. And and that night I went home and I thought about it and came back the next day and said, okay, so this is what we're doing. 
we exist because I want to be able to create a viable alternative for when one of my guys, his name is Ben Burns, when his daughter is uh, 18 years old, she can choose to either go to the University of the Future, us, or to go to a traditional design and art college. And they would be the same in terms of the impact it would have on her. Mm. And so we got a lot of work to do because those institutions have had a lot of help and had a lot of years behind them. And so we have to catch up. So we're working on that. We're working on building out the curriculum so that we have parity between what it is we're doing and what uh, like a really good private art school would do. Now, the whole process is to uh, engineer a disruption to the education system. Here in the, here in the United States, it is a private art school, which means it comes out of your own pocket. There's not a lot of government assistance there, and it's expensive to go to a private art school. It's going to be somewhere around $22,000 a semester. My hope mm-hmm. is that when we're all done with this, you'll be able to spend less than what you would for one semester at a private art school than you would the entire curriculum with us. Hmm. I, so yeah. Lofty goal. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's good though. And, you know, I think... I think we're kind of programmed into this kind of pre-existing educational world that, you know, you had to go to college, you had to go to university and the world has changed. And, you know, as you say, you're you're kind of now a college, a university, and you're bringing that. I, I suppose the one thing that maybe you could lose, right, from not going to a, a traditional school or college is, is the network that comes from, you know, you know, the people you meet, the people you go through that experience with, how, how does that build into and, and where's your thinking on that with how the future, you know, I, I, you know, having not gone through your, your courses as such, you know, is that right. part of it, the kind of tribe element of it? Yeah, so we, we, we did this exercise before when I was teaching and I asked my students, like in, when we're all in a classroom together, mm-hmm. I said, what is it that you want from the educational experience here? And it had freshmen and had seniors and everything in between. And we write up on the board. So a big part of going to school is the network, mm-hmm. right? So I said, okay, so that is really important. Now let's wipe this slate clean. I'm going to ask you this question. What's the best way for you to meet the people you want to meet in the industry? And they thought about it. And some of the answers came back, well, we'd go to conferences. We would be in a position where we're speaking on panels so that we're not just looking at them. We're sitting next to them. Mm-hmm. I said, great. Is school the best way for you to do that? And they're absolutely not. So if you spent one-eighth of your tuition on, a, on an alternative education with us and spent the seven-eighths of your tuition on travel, on going to conferences, on booking one-on-one, uh, doing uh, internships and things like that, do you think the network that you would get from that would be far in excess greater than you would going to school? And I'd have to say probably yes. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense when you put it out like that. Yeah, I like it. I like it. So, so, so you've gone on this journey, um, you know, in your younger years, having been a creative, obviously you're still creative, but I mean, in terms of a designer, an illustrator, art director, you've gone on this journey to running agency. You've then, you know, and entrepreneurism and, you know, business owner, and you've now transitioned from agency over to kind of product and education. Um, I suppose, you know, yeah, I just love to learn some of the biggest learnings or bigger, biggest failings through that journey that if someone else was either at the start trying to get to where you are now or, you know, somewhat transitioning between one of those places, is there some, 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 some big learnings that you can share with us? To transition from being like on the service side into the product side? Yeah, I, th- I think, yeah, I mean, 
again, I was a designer. I was a photographer. I've transitioned yeah. into running a business. I've learned a lot through that process. And, you know, right. you almost need to shed one skin and kind of um, grow a new one. And I'm, I suppose I'm just from your perspective, I'd love to hear. I, I, I suppose I see a lot of creative struggle to turn and, and they want, you know, ones that want to turn in from a craftsperson into a business. I see. And, you know, I know this is your sweet spot. And I, I suppose I'm just keen to hear, yeah, just some of the biggest takeaways that maybe anyone listening right now who are trying to make the transition of, of how they start to think about that or do that. Yeah. I think you have to be really honest with yourself, first of all, because a lot of people like the idea of starting a business, being the creative director sounds super fancy and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. They don't realize the work that's involved in the kinds of changes that will have to happen if you want to be successful. So the first question you want to ask yourself is, do I really truly just enjoy working by myself, doing all the work, doing all the client stuff, doing all the sales? Just, I love all of it. I just want it to be me and I want my hands in the work. And I don't feel right when other people do the work. And if that's the case, just stick to what it is that you're doing. You'll do really well. Just master your craft and do your best to market your services. That's it. But if you're this other kind of person who says, I'd like to collaborate. I think there are a lot of really interesting people out there who do work better than me in a lot of different ways. And our work would be elevated as a team effort. And that's really what drives a person like me, where I think I'm not the best photographer, not even close. I'll just hire the best photographer. I'm not the best fill in the blank. So I surround myself with amazing co-creators and collaborators and we build this thing together. And when we're done, we step back, like we stand six feet back and say, wow, that was really cool. That was more than what any one of us could have done. And we built this together and it's really cool. We'll see you at the next gig. And so what I'm doing is, is I'm building a company and infrastructure. Mm -hmm. I'm building a sales process and a pipeline. I'm doing marketing. I'm doing project management. I have to learn how to bid and estimate work. And I have to make sure that we're profitable at the end of the year because I want to take care of my people. And this could be a combination of anywhere between just you and a bunch of freelancers that you work with, or you and a few full-time staff and a really large freelance pool, or anything in between where it's all of you guys, like all on staff and no freelancers, but to each their own. But the thing that you have to realize is you have to let go of doing the work because now yeah. you have to be in charge of steering the boat, if you will. Yeah. And, and how important do you think that is then? You know, again, you sometimes you come across creative people that find it hard to let go of the creative director title. You know, they feel like that should be theirs. And I'm a big believer, actually, the same in the same respect that you mentioned is that you surround yourself with people who are much better than you. I, I now worry about myself, I think. If I, you know, I'm now useless at most things, um, but I'm surrounded by all these fantastic people. And yeah, I think, I suppose it's, it, it comes down to, doesn't it? Some, some people, sometimes you're the a sole founder. Sometimes, you know, there's two or three of you. Um, and yeah, do you find people come on your courses, they're often learning how to commercialize their creativity or their craft. Do you find a lot of people struggle to kind of remove themselves from owning the craft? I think that a lot of people do have that problem. That's why I stated that at the very beginning. If you're that person who needs to have your fingers in the work and put your your signature in it, your thumbprint, mm -hmm. if you will, uh, then you're probably better off just working on your own. Uh, Paul Rand, a famous uh, graphic designer, one of the fam most famous in, in America, at least, he did the work himself. It was a one-person studio. I think he had young students working for him, but just dealing with like menial tasks. Like he was the person writing designing and making everything. 
So I, I think you have to just figure out who you are and pursue what feels right for you. And if you're willing, if you're willing to step back away from the work and cherry pick the things that you like to do mm -hmm. and then empower other people to do their job, then I think you'll do really well. Um, here's, here's an analogy I'd like to make for people to get their heads wrapped around this because I think most of it is a, a limiting belief, okay? So if, if I were to ask you, like, um, name a world-famous chef, would you be able to name a few? Like, who would you name? Oh, the, Ro the Roca Brothers. The Roca Brothers. Oh, Roca Brothers, okay. Yeah, Roca Brothers. And what, what kind of food do they, do they make? Oh, now I'm struggling. <laughs> okay. Well, here in America, we have uh, quite a few celebrity chefs like Wolfgang Puck. Have you heard of Wolfgang yeah. Puck? Bobby no, Flay. I'm, I'm now thinking of Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> Gordon Ramsay, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, let's yeah. let's use Gordon Ramsay as an example. Yeah. Okay. Now, Gordon Ramsay is world famous, and he's world famous for a lot of different reasons. He's got a prickly personality. He's very particular, and a lot of people like it. Some people are turned yeah. off by it. And we we assume he's a really good cook, too. Like many of us have not had a meal handmade by Gordon Ramsay, right? Even though sure. some of us have eaten at a Gordon Ramsay restaurant. And I do, I do not know his net worth. I imagine it's in the high millions, probably close to a billion or somewhere around there. And he has a line of products and, and things. He, he does teaching. He's, a, he's an entertainer. There's so many different things he's doing. So when we arrive at a Gordon Ramsay restaurant, do we expect Gordon Ramsay to be in the back kitchen expediting or actually on the line cooking or as a sous chef? We don't have that realistic expectation. What we think of it is Gordon Ramsay has put together a formula, a they call it a recipe, and mm -hmm. he's put his stamp of approval on this, that he's made sure that the line is doing food exactly the way he wants to his exact standards. And he does this at a, a bunch of different price points in a, in a bunch of different restaurants. We're totally okay with that. Does anybody know who made the food? Probably not, but we know the name Gordon Ramsay. And he's able to create a multi-million, multi-billion dollar brand out of his name. And it allows mm. him to think of new concepts so that when the trends change in terms of like what different people want to eat, for example, if it's like vegan or gluten-free or whatever it is, whatever the next thing is, right? Yeah. Okay, then he can stay on top of that. And if he needs to, he'll go back and visit each restaurant and make sure the standards are being met. That's kind of what it's like to be a an owner of a company, an entrepreneur. You develop yeah. a recipe. Here's what I like. I want to make sure each and every single person I put on the line does the work to the standard in which I expect or better. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to keep mapping out what the vision looks like. And, and yeah. that's that's a different role. Yeah, and so it's, ultimate, it's ultimately built upon that person's reputation, which is ultimately that person now becomes brand and brand is ultimately a reputation, right? Yes, and that brand could be just the name of the company. For us, it's Blind. Blind is the company. That's the reputation. It's not Chris Doe. Hmm. Well, yes, it's interesting now, though, isn't it? Is it Chris Doe or is it Blind? It is Blind, and I'll tell you why. Okay, so when I was freelancing uh, just straight out of school, I saw Kyle Cooper like ascend into this, like the, the, the what do they call it, the second or third generation of main title designers He's been accredited as single-handedly reviving the art of title design. Mm -hmm. And he put his name on everything. Every single thing that came out of that shop, his name was there. Whether he looked at it and said, go for it, or if he did all the work by himself, which wasn't the case. But he, his name was attached to every single thing. Every piece of press, it was him. And I saw a problem. Just even me, just young, out of school, I saw a problem, which is 
clients now expect Kyle to be on every single call and every single meeting. Because if he wasn't, you're going to think, oh, this job is not important enough. Hmm. And so that man worked like an animal. He was there bef- before anybody would wake up and show up to the office. And he was there way into the night. And I was thinking he's a little older than I am. I was like, God, I'm tired. I don't know how he's able to maintain this energy. Yeah. And he's bouncing around from three to four different projects, checking in on everybody all the time. And I knew when I started my company, I wanted to be something beyond myself. Of course, I'm, I'm the beginning. And so some people say, oh, okay, where's Chris? And then I would talk to them. But as soon as possible, I would bring in an art director or creative director and say, this person's leading your project now. I'll be keeping an eye on them. But from this point forward, they're your main point person. I don't want to drop the ball. Yeah, I don't want to spread myself too thin. And then over time, people didn't ask for me anymore. Yeah. And it so was just the brand. So, so when fu- the future comes in, right, in terms yeah. of that brand hierarchy so we've got crisp we've got blind we've got future yes. where, where's where's that hierarchy setting then where do you where do you sit in the hierarchy where do i sit in the hierarchy relative to what well, what do you mean in terms of architecture i don't mean hierarchy of who's the yeah. boss or who's right, you know right. I, I more mean in terms of kind of the equity <laughs> that, yes. that you know that, that doing these things creates right your, your face yep. is as i say is constantly on my feed so when i think future when i think blind yep. i see your face right it's there yep. it's there as a visual representation of of all of those things yeah i want to ask you this question andrew yeah did you know of blind before you knew of the future or did you know the future first i knew of you first personally i believe okay. and through what I, i'm curious i don't know i think i just started seeing content I uh, like okay, what you had to say. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's weird. Yeah, but I, I don't think yeah. I first of all went, oh, there's the brand of future. I think the first right. thing that stood out to me is Chris Doe, right? And that, right. that kind of hammered into my mind. Right. And then I'm like, wait a minute, what's this thing he keeps talking about, right? Because it's like... Right, right, right. And then, oh, wait a minute, he also has an agency. That's interesting, right? Yeah. And then, so there's, yeah. a, there's a... And I suppose there's different entry points for everyone, isn't there? Someone might come straight in at the future and, yeah. That's right. Okay, so <laughs> now I'm about to undo everything I just told you, right? So everybody hang on, hang on, I'll explain <laughs> it all. So when I started doing work uh, on the education side, it was with a partner of mine, his name is Jose, and we did this thing called The School. Mm-hmm. And Jose and I were making content, so you would see Jose and then you would see me, and our personalities could not be more different. I'm an sure. introvert, he's an extrovert, I'm Asian, he's Latino. So he would often say like, and it was just uh, trying to make fun of me, it's like, we're Latino, Chino Latino. I'm not Chinese, but he would just say that, right? Sure. And we would do this thing and then people got to know two very polar opposites in terms of personalities, getting together to make content. Well, he and I dissolved the company. I restarted as the future, but it was just a company of one. It was mm-hmm. just me. I had a young person who was... Um, a volunteer, he was working for me for free, right? Because mm-hmm. he's like, I, I want to learn from you. I'm like, okay, well, we'll figure this out. So in the very beginning, the future really is nothing. It's just me making content yeah. with a, a company attached to it. And that's how it worked for a long time, actually. For over a year, mm-hmm. he became employee number one. Then I hired another person. And then eventually, the future became a real company. We had real revenue. And then my team from Blind slowly migrated over until we just all jumped off the cliff. And we said, like in December 2018, we're all the future now. There is no blind. Blind only exists as a placeholder for when people need to check our credentials. Okay. Right? And so you're you're right in saying that maybe in terms of the hierarchy, I am the future because I make 90%, 95% of the content. 
And I'm yeah. the guy that's out there on every interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and do you think, do you, do you think that, you know, as you progress now, do you think you want to kind of create an army of, you know, of, of personalities? You know, I, I've seen many agencies, you know, there's a few in the, 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 the UK, I'm trying to think, social, social Chain, I don't know if you've come across Social Chain, they're now global. Um, Steve Bartlett there did a fantastic job, grew that agency to a multi-million pounds agency with his mm-hmm. his name, his, his face. And then, but over time, they brought up other people with them. And I think it was really powerful to watch because it was it suddenly, it was no longer just him, but he was, he had his presence, you know, you could feel his presence, but there was other people that were kind of, he was pulling up with him. And, and do you think you would go down that model or, or yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Um, people who, who are longtime fans of the channel, what we do, you'll know the name Ben Burns, you'll know the name Matthew Encina and Greg Gunn, and there are other people that we bring into the fold. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So we, we are doing that. There was a series that we produced that was really beloved by our fans called Building a Brand. And there was Ben and Matthew, and I was nowhere to be seen. I was perfectly content at let, letting them drive the, the, uh, the programming and figure out what the edit should smell or sound like. And they did a great job. And in that, in that way, people will notice these other people. But in terms of like how we operate, okay, so we're an education channel, so we need teachers. Yeah, uh, finding dynamic, personable, charismatic teachers—not an easy job to do. <laughs> and we're still building infrastructure to our company. Mm. So Ben is mostly running the company for me. Matthew yeah. just recently left, but prior to that, he was head of content. And mm-hmm. and Greg makes—he uh, uh, runs my podcast. Right. Mm-hmm. So each one of us have a very specific role, but yeah. out of all of us, I'm the only person who's ever taught for any real period of time. Like before I ever recorded my first video, I'd been teaching, I think at that point, maybe 13, 14 years. Mm. And so this is a pretty natural extension for me. And and people who do tune into the channel, they'll say like, oh, the way you explain things, you make really complicated things seem really simple. That's what teachers do. <laughs> I'm not here to make it more complicated. <laughs> Right, that would not help you out at all. <laughs> so I'm, I have some practice there. So yeah. as we continue to grow and we have studio space, we bring in different teachers. And whether or not these teachers have a long-term career or desire to to want to be part entertainer and educator, and that will be remain to, to be seen. But that is definitely the plan. Mm. Yeah. Well, I, I think you've you've what you've done really well is that 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 you've managed to make it feel so big, you know, and I think, you know, I think it lends to why, you know, and I think, you know, I, I was thinking about, you know, um, your content and why I like it, you know, and I think, I think what I love about, you know, Chris Doe, the future blind and, um, you know, those, those, those three parts together here is that, you know, when I watch your content, there's a real, you really feel like you want to help people, right? And, you know, as you say, you know, there's a can-do attitude. There's a, like, you're just getting up. You're always there. And there's a consistency and that you're helping people out. You're inspiring people. And, you know, I, I believe that, you know, if you if you put out and you give people and, and you put that energy out and you give, as you say, educate people and you try and help them, it comes back in bucket loads. I, I'm interested in your viewpoint on that, on kind of, you know, the tone of your content, you know, how yeah. much people give, because I think people struggle to give, don't they? They feel like people are going to steal, you know, and, and I I will tell everyone anything, you know, probably to my detriment, you know, I don't know, but, um, you know, I, I'm just interested in your viewpoint, Chris, from that. 
Yeah, I think it's a pretty natural reaction and feeling to have that as you start out in your career that you have to protect your resources, that you're not in the business of helping your competitors get a leg up. So in the very beginning, I remember this in school, people would hoard typefaces, fonts, you know, and they would have their secret sources like <laughs> out of print books from obscure sources that they would scan in and look at in the dark corners and not let you peek. I get it because we're all competing against each other for our, our class. And then for when the time when we graduate and we're all looking for the same jobs, we want to stand apart. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I'd like that to change, but hey, man, whatever. <laughs> whatever works, right? And then you get out and you have some success and then you start to think to yourself, there are no such thing as secret sources. And if you depend on a particular secret typeface or a, a, a like a book that's out of print and, and you won't tell anybody what it is, then then you're really crippling yourself and you're defining yourself as the sum total of your secret sources and nothing more. And again... I'm going to go back to the chefs. You know, chefs used to protect their recipes. My grandma's secret recipe. And, and you'll see in some cooking competitions, they cover up what they're doing, literally, like so the cameras can't see what they're doing. Yeah. It's like, really? Really? That, that's all it is, huh? <laughs> and, and then what you'll see is you'll see like uh, really uh, well-known chefs. They'll visit restaurants. And they're like, what's in the sauce? They're like, well, it's this, that, and I can't tell you these two other secret ingredients. <laughs> they put their finger in it. They're like, oh, nutmeg and... And, and maple syrup right and they're they like look astonished like how would you know it's like because that's what i do man i know yeah. flavors i know tastes and i can figure this thing out so if you wind up protecting all your secret sources you'll become a secret that's that's what happens nobody will know about you nobody will hire you yeah i'm on the other end of the spectrum saying you know what here's exactly how i did it in fact if you want you can go to this website and i'll let you download all the components there's nothing here for me to hide I'll help you. Now, here's the thing, though. There's this thing about, I, I really believe in the power of reciprocity. It's how societies develop, right? Mm. Just think about it. Like uh, in 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 like just a hundred years ago, if you need to borrow a cup of sugar, mm -hmm. you knock on your neighbor's door. It's like I'm baking some cookies and I ran out of sugar and it's too far to get to the market. And I'm like, yeah, I'll give you a cup of sugar. And then sometimes they'll need a couple of flowers, or they need you to like watch their their house while they're away on vacation. And that's what we do. It's reciprocity. We we uh, make a deposit in the bank. Yeah. And sometimes we'll make a withdrawal. So when you do something good, when you try to help people, you're making a deposit. Mm -hmm. You don't always get it back, and it doesn't always come back equal to what you gave. But I'm a big believer, and the more that the good that you put out there, the more people you help, the greater your account, your ledger is going to be. <laughs> and this is what's really cool. When I reach out on the internet. I say, hey, does anybody know somebody that works here? Or I, I want to yeah. be connected to this guest. And the army comes out. And it's the future army. And they just, yeah. they, they try they and owe you a favor. <laughs> well, they just feel so compelled. Like if, if yeah. I've gotten this from you, this is the least that I can do. And I'll give you one really clear example. And I'm, I'm really touched by this. Hmm. My son was looking for an internship I didn't want him to work for me. It's too, it's too incestuous. You know, there's too much going on there. So, I, and he he's a writer, and writing for us is not a good career development thing, right? Like if you were a designer, maybe. And so I just put it on the web. It's like, does anybody know anyone uh, who needs an intern for writing? Because that's what my son wants to do. Like he was really interested in political science. And then somebody reaches out to me on Twitter. It's like, hey, hey, I know a CEO. I've been talking up. Oh, let me let me make this happen for you. I'll be on the call too, just to make sure your son's okay. And I was thinking, this is the kindness of strangers. And I, I love this. Yeah. So maybe if we continue to help each other out, 
we won't be such strangers. And I like that idea. Yeah, I love that. And I I, 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 I really relate to the, the chef idea of, you know, giving the recipe away. And it's it's funny, there's a um, a craft, well, they're, they're now a huge brewery called Brewdog. Um, they started in Scotland and they're now they're now global. And, um, you know, every, every, a lot of people tried to mimic their brand because they disrupted, right? They were the disruptors and, you know, now every, they were kind of the punks of beer. And but what I love about their what their business is that they, they give away all the recipes to all their beers. <laughs> so like so anybody can copy all of their products. But as you know, it's more than just those those products, is it? It's 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 all the parts you bring. It's everything else. It's everything else you're doing during the day. It's the makeup of your team, the makeup of your mind, and everything in that ecosystem, not just the product or service. And yeah, I I I I, I love the giving it out and it comes back tenfold, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, we've all done this before. Uh, maybe in home economics class, the teacher gives you the recipe and a bunch of the students make it. They don't all look the same. We're all working <laughs> on the same recipe and there's degrees and the more complicated the dish is, the, the more variation there's going to be. Now, even though they gave out the exact recipe to their, their beer, you may realize that's a lot of equipment for me to invest in. And it's a lot of work to get it like that. And sometimes you screw up. You miss yeah. one key thing because you're not paying attention and you've ruined a whole batch of beer. And so after a while, we're like, that's cool that they gave it to us, but I'm just going to go down to the pub and order it. I'm just going to buy it. Yeah, it's much easier. Just buy it. What's the point? <laughs> like I saw Gordon Ramsay show me how to make the perfect steak. And when I want to have the perfect steak, I'm just going to go to one of his restaurants and just order it. What the heck? I'm not going to sit there and like baby that piece of meat. It's just, it's just no, I don't want to do that. Totally okay. Yeah. I love it. Love it. Yeah, it's, it's so true. It's so true. Now, we, we tend to, to ask everyone on this podcast, if, we, if, if, if they're in the kind of the right space, um, what brand means in today's world. So brand, brand is a term that if we ask 100 people, 1,000 people, they'll all say something very different. I'm just interested if, if there's a, a Chris Dole definition of brand or if there's something that we can riff about for a second to understand what sure. they are now in today's world and what what they're evolving into yeah and and i'm going to say this answer and then i'm going to cite where i got this from so it doesn't look like i'm smarter than i really am okay <laughs> a brand's not a logo a logo's a part of it a, a, a brand isn't all the um uh impressions that uh that are out there although that's mm -hmm. a part of it too a brand isn't it's just the customer service, although that's an important part. A brand is a person's gut feeling about a product service organization. So it's a feeling that comes from part of your limbic brain. And yeah. when enough people have that same gut feeling, then you have a brand. Yeah. So you can't control what people think of you. You can't control people's feelings. You can't influence it and you can shape it, but you can't control it. So it's not yeah. what you say it is. It's what they say it is. And this all comes from... Marty Newmeyer, who Marty wrote Neumeyer. multiple books yes. on brand. Marty has like been a guest that. on here as well. So I'm a, I'm a big Marty fan. So I, I can I think maybe episode two, way back episode two of of here. So yeah, and I, I watched Marty's episode with you as well. He's yeah. uh, Marty, Mar Marty literally wrote the, the book on brand. Literally, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think it's really nice the way he puts it, isn't it? It's not what it's not what you say it is, it's what they say it is. And yeah, you know, I, th I think we can we you can help create the spark, you can help ignite the the, the foundational elements, um, but very much it's 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 how other people perceive, um, and, and you know, 
in essence as well, your reputation, isn't it, of what you're left behind, of all of the interactions with your content, with your product, with your services, with with you as a as a person. Yeah, and I had a person uh, that was having a chat with me on Clubhouse. Her name is Christine Lucer. She's got a PhD, and she runs branding for um, the Minerva Project, the Minerva School. And she she asked me this question. She's like, Chris, do you know anything about impression management? I'm like, that sounds fancy. That's like a this is a fancy thing. I'm a graphic designer. What are you talking about? She goes, well, like, for example, like when you show up for an interview, are you managing your impression? Because if you come in with an eye patch and a gold tooth, that's one kind of impression that you're going to create. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. So I want to show up for the job that I like to have, not the job that I have. You want to dress for the job you like to have. So when I come in there with some style, you know, I got my funky glasses, maybe my baseball cap, something like that, but I'm wearing a suit. I'm going to wear sneakers and that's me. And I, I represent myself that way. So I'm I'm serious, but I'm I'm also like I'm gonna have fun and there's a little edge to me. And so you're managing your impression impression just by showing up in a particular way. Now, mm. if you do your homework, if you research who this company is and what this person might ask you and 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 you're you're prepared, that's another way that you're gonna manage your impression by the words that you say. If mm. you bring them a small gift because they're um you read somewhere on social media that they're having a problem with something. And you bring them, like, say, a pocket knife, whatever. I don't know what it is. And yeah. you, you're like, I, I just read this. and I'm, That's all impression management. <clears throat> so I'm anticipating their needs. I'm going to surprise and delight them. And I'm showing up dressed for who I, wa- I want to represent myself to be. And so all of us, just to help make this a lot easier to understand, we all have a brand. Most of it is unintentional. Yeah. Meaning you go about your life, you dress the way you do, you say the things that you do, and sometimes you're kind, sometimes you're short with people. And they're like, oh, God, Andrew's like, what a prick. <laughs> or Andrew's an angel. You know, everybody has a different impression. Yeah. You, you might meet the male man, male person, uh, like just with a really affectionate, like greeting. And like, God, Andrew's like really sweet. And so when enough people, like I said, enough people have a similar impression about you mm. and you have a brand. Now you might not realize it, but you could be thinking, I'm I'm the world's biggest sweetheart. And everybody else thinks, no, you're not. You know, you're a prick. And you, you're like always talking about yourself. You're a narcissist. And yeah. that's where we get into impression management. And when mm-hmm. you become aware of these things and you want to be more intentional and deliberate with how the signals that you send out to the world mm-hmm. to make sure that what they think is in alignment with what you'd like them to think, then you get into brand management. So I would love for uh, people in the in the design space to stop using the word brand unless they truly are talking about impression management. So when we create the logo, like designers love to do this, like when a new when a brand rebrands with a new logo, they're like, "Oh, I hate that logo. I just, <laughs> the company's stupid. I'll never use their services again." It's like I don't think you understand what branding is. That it's way, 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 way beyond that because a crappy company with a good logo is still a crappy company. But a really good company with a crappy logo is still a good company. And designers need to get over that. Yeah. I, I often talk about the, the the logo is just the face of a human being, right? Your face is a visual trigger that reminds us of all of those impressions. Um, and, and people get hung up on that face, don't they? I, I always think it's so funny when you do see these rebrands and there's just scrolls of, you know, there's everything is about that and if, as if that's, and it's just a simple visual reminder, isn't it? Much like our face, much like our name. Um, and I, I like that. I've never heard of anyone talking about the impression management. Yeah, I, I, I would even say that um, the, the, the face might even be too much to, to assign to the logo. 
like it's like i think it's just maybe just a name mm. like if if i'm uh, like a not a nice person and if i uh, my business is to destroy the environment and earth i don't really care how good looking that logo is what you understand of me that goes way beyond because my actions my deeds what i say how i treat people are going to matter a lot more than that mark because let's yeah. face it the world is filled with ugly logos but we still love the products I'd like mm-hmm. to change part of that and like, okay, good company. Maybe you need to like make sure that that mark is pleasant to look at and it, it fits within the ethos of what you're trying to put out there. Mm-hmm. Because I'll tell my wife, because we're both design snobs, right? I'll look at a jacket. I'm like, I love this jacket. It's just like the features. It fits me so well. And then there's that mark and I just can't buy it because that mark is so atrocious. And so we're snobs that way. But most people are like, oh, it's a great jacket. It's built well. It has good reputation. It lasts long. And they have great customer service. And they can look beyond that. It's the, it's the pain of being a designer in life. I'm, I, have, I, I have that same curse as well of just yeah. uh, this, that, the, the kerning is just slightly off. I can't, I can't purchase <laughs> yeah. it. Is it? Yeah. That it's just, yeah, yeah, it's tough. It's tough. It's tough. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I suppose on that kind of impression management, it, it maybe leads nicely. In, and I watched one of your videos recently um, with, just call me Josie. Um, do you remember jo- Jocelyn? Um, what was her second name? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Joss uh, for uh, Joss, for sorry, LinkedIn. Joss, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, Jess, yeah. yeah, yeah. Actually, she just yeah. she just won a competition on our page like the other day for some made brave pajamas. We launched some pajamas to announce. Yeah, and uh, we we chatted on LinkedIn, and um, I I recently just watched the video as well. But you know, it's interesting. Um, you know, you talk about this impression management, and because of COVID, right? You know, yeah. you've 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 been putting the hard yards in already, right? Building up that YouTube channel, and you've 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 accomplished that million subscribers, which is tough to do. Everyone knows it's tough to do. Um, and you know what I've noticed over the last year, and on LinkedIn specifically, everyone's come on, right? Because there's there's no network meetings to go to, there's no conferences. Yeah. And I suppose you know what what I like about you, Chris, as well, is that 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 you know you're 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 honest about you're an introvert and you're pushing yourself outward all the time. And I suppose there's a lot of people probably listening to this right now. There'll be younger creatives. There'll be, you know, people who just like, I need to, I need to create my version. I need to find and make more impressions, you know, in today's world or at the moment, these have to be done online. What, what, what could you give in terms of some tips, strategy for someone who who has to find their voice online right now and 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 find that authentic voice not not create one right i mean but like to you know someone listening that wants to be a crystal wants to do what you're doing what what tips can you give yeah the 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 more self-awareness that you have the more likely you're going to be able to craft your own brand now Mm -hmm. i know this word upsets a lot of people especially when you add this other word in front of it, I'm going to say it, your personal brand. Because mm-hmm. like, oh, I, I can imagine some of my designer friends like, enough of that already, enough. All right, but here's how it goes. People need to be able to remember you. We need uh, some form of heuristics to be able to remember. And so this goes back to impression management, okay? Mm-hmm. If you have a strong identity, People are, it's easier for them to remember you. And that's why we're in the identity design business, right? Whether you're calling yourself a brander or not, you're trying to shape that because in, in any given moment, there's a lot of competition for your attention, like for you to remember things and we're getting bombarded. 
I think there's some crazy stats out there in terms of like how many times our lives are interrupted today in the modern um, modern era versus just say 50 years ago. The in- interruption pattern is persistent, consistent, and pervasive. You cannot escape it. So we need help in remembering you. Hmm. Because if I were to ask some people right now, if we were sitting in a room and ask some young people, um, who's the best designer that's still alive today in graphic design? And we're not going to get the answers that you and I might expect. Because you and I, you you look a little older, so maybe your your answer and mine would be like uh, maybe Jan Chakold, but he's not living, right? And we would go like, mm-hmm. we may say maybe Michael Beirut, Paula Cher at the Pentagram Partners. Mm-hmm. But the young kids are going to say Aaron Droplin. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, Aaron Droplin's good. The, the greatest living designer. I don't know about that. But the reason why they say that is because Aaron is really well known. Yeah, and he's he's a busy guy. Like he tours a lot, but mm-hmm. that's not why. Because I think it was around um, 2016, uh, 2017, where Aaron goes on TED and records this video. And if you listen to the way he introduces himself, it's a masterclass in branding. He steps on stage. He's wearing a big jean jacket. He's a big dude. He goes, um, "Hi everyone, my name is Aaron James Straplin. I'm 44 years old or 42 at that time. Whatever he said." And he's like, I'm a big guy trying to make it in the little leagues. I'm doing everything I can to make it in graphic design. Okay, let's just pause right there. Now, if you're just listening to that casually, like, yeah, Chris, and what? And what? Well, let me just break it down for you. Okay. My name is Aaron James Draplin. Who tells you their middle name? <laughs> That's good, doesn't it? Yeah. Right? It's like, who tell, like you don't know what my <laughs> middle name is. So he's telling you, I'm, I'm just an open book, man. I'm going to tell you everything. And then he says, I'm a big guy trying to make it in the little leagues. What does that mean? When he says, I'm a big guy, like he's like 250, 300 pounds. I don't know how heavy he is. He's a big dude. And there's a self-awareness there. He's just letting you know, I'm a big guy. And then he likes to use these things where he talks big and little, small and tall, you know, in the little leagues. What he's talking about, he's he's moved deliberately uh, to to Portland. You know, this small design community. And that's the Little Leagues. He's, he's not telling you he's trying to make it in New York or Los Angeles. And he's just trying to make it in the Little League. So a lot of self-awareness. Humble. Very funny. Super <laughs> yeah. memorable. Humble. Mm-hmm. Just trying to keep it real. And in his talk, he's like, you know, people after college were talking about going to India. I was thinking, well, what about Indiana? <laughs> right? So he has yeah. all these little phrases that makes it easy for you to remember. I want to make it easier for you to remember me, and you should mm-hmm. as well. How do you do that? You start to develop your personal brand. So some some tips, okay? Where you were you born matters. It shapes a lot of your origin story. Where you were born, okay, and where you live today also says a lot about you. So Aaron was born, I think, in the Midwest somewhere, and then he yeah. moves to Portland. So he's letting you know he has these Midwestern roots. You know, salt of the earth uh, around farm culture, right? And then now he's yeah. moving into like a hipster place and he's anti-hipster. And so he's just letting you know all these things. So think about where you were born. Think about where you choose to live today and what mm-hmm. those things say about you. And start to nurture and craft your two-word brand. For me, I'm an introvert through and through. And that's it's hard to pull me out of that space. So I define myself mm-hmm. as an introvert. But that's not so special, because in the world of creativity, you're going to say like 90% plus are introverts. Big whoop, Chris. 
But you're now the introvert for them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so here's the twist. I'm a loud introvert. I've learned to grow beyond my station in life and that I'm out there doing media. I got comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And so when people meet me, they don't know that I'm introvert. They're like, you're not an introvert. Like I see you everywhere. I'm like, well, I work through that. So my two word combination, my two word brand is I'm a loud introvert. And when people hear that, like, oh, you're the loud introvert. Mm -hmm. And they like that because these are juxtaposing ideas. It's like jumbo shrimp. It's like uh, central or central intelligence. I mean, it's like these weird words that you combine together. And so I heard the that two-word two brand. Is that what you said? Two words. Yeah, it's a two-word brand, and that's what you mm-hmm. want to look for. Okay, and and I'm here, and my my uh, my purpose is to disrupt education, and my mission is to teach a billion people how to make a living doing what they love. Mm-hmm. And when you start to refine these things, and you put it onto the universe, and you say it enough times, people start to remember you. Mm-hmm. So when I, when, because tying it back to a question you asked me earlier, what does it mean to have that billion mission internally, externally? Well, externally, people start introducing me now as a person who's got this really big mission to teach a billion people. And it makes them smile every single time they say it. And I like that. So now they become a part of the army, the future Mm -hmm. army, because they're saying like, we want to help you achieve this. It's a noble thing to try to help people. And we like that. So that crystallizes everything that we're trying to do. And if I sat down and tried to explain all the complex nuances of what we did, you'd roll your eyes and be like, oh, it's too much. I can't process all this, Chris. Hmm. So then you walk away, hopefully remembering two things. I'm a loud introvert with a really big mission to teach a billion people how to make a living doing what they love. That's it. That's all you need to know about me for now. Yeah, it's like, it's like I think Mark Rickson talks about brand codes is there's like there's a few repeatable things that we just repeat yes. and repeat and repeat and it's like KFC the Kentucky fried chickens a good example is they've got the kernel they've got the bucket kernel. they've got chickens and they've got finger licking good and we just repeat and repeat and repeat and it's the same with you that's what you're saying isn't it it's the the load introvert yes i got one more thing because <laughs> i'm a Kentucky fried chicken fan too <laughs> they got their the secret recipe of 11 herbs and spices you remember that so they have yeah yes. yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And you just you just gotta repeat those. So your kind of your your advice, your what you're saying for listeners is is find those repeatable elements that are that are yours that you own in terms of your story, your your heritage, your you know, it, your founding story, whatever that may be. Yes, and it's it it's you need to find those story elements so that you can create what my business coach told me was a repeatable story. A repeatable story is like after t- Today, Andrew, if you can walk away and tell your friends, your coworkers, your your partner, Chris is a loud introvert with a really big mission. That's a repeatable story. Yeah. And then yeah. those people can say, oh, I'm interested in this guy. Like the other day you're talking about this other loud introvert person. So it, it's it's like you can say it all you want, but if they can't remember it, if they can't repeat it to someone else, then it's a, it's too complicated of a story. Yeah. I, you know, when I started my agency, I, I had a thousand pounds in the bank and a two week old baby at home. Right. And I've turned it into a, an agency and I, I, I've, I, I've become known as, oh, is that the guy that had a thousand pounds and a two week old baby? And, you know, I, I'm almost like, I've heard the story so many times and I'm sure people are bored of it, but I'm like, I have to, that's my story. I can't change it. And that's my, that's my, I don't know how many, how many words I got there, but like, you know, the thousand pounds, two week old baby turned into creative agency you know and yeah so yeah. chris um i'm conscious of your time um as a wrap up um we 
you know, I, I suppose just what, what's next? You've you've hit a big milestone recently, as we talked about with your YouTube channel. Um, you know, you've created a success, really successful business, and congratulations on that. It's inspiring, and I'm you know sure all of our listeners will agree. I'm keen to know what's what's the next chapter. What's what what can we expect? Yeah, the very next chapter I think is we're experimenting with what I think the modern classroom is going to look like. And we're investing a lot of our money into to technology so that if there's a visiting professor that we'd like to invite into the studio, that he or she can then record a piece of content and broadcast it to the world in ways that feel like really connected to people. We're still imagining a world where we're doing distance-based teaching and learning, and we want to optimize that. But the thing that I'm most looking forward to is actually just getting out into the universe again and meeting people because that's the part that really energizes me. Like when I get a note, like the other day, I got a note, a handwritten note from a mom uh, who, who looks like they're, they're just kind of barely making it in life, right? She sends me this note and it, it just, it'll bring a tear to your eye when you read it. And those are the kind of moments I live for, but I want to hear that. I want to see it. I don't want to just read it on a piece of paper. And so when we go out into the world and I'm doing a conference and sometimes people say, Chris, I can't afford to go to a conference. I say, it's okay. I'll get you a ticket. I'll get you in. And I get them in. I put them in a nice seat and everything. And then we talk afterwards and I'm able to connect with people. That's why I do this. Because it's not an abstract thing that we're trying to do. When I say I want to teach a billion people how to make a living doing what they love, I really do mean that. So there's somebody out there who's struggling, who's hurting, who didn't have access doesn't know how to move forward, I want to be there for that person and get them through their tough times. That's it. Fantastic. Well, I think that's a really nice place to end. So I just want to thank you one more time and um, thanks to everyone who's listening and we'll see you next time. Hey everyone, Andrew here and thanks so much for listening. As we said at the start, we hope to inspire creativity and bravery in you. So if this podcast has helped you in any way or if it's inspired you to do something brave, we want to hear about it. Drop us an email at hello at justachatwith.com and who knows, maybe we'll feature you on a future episode. If you want to support the podcast, please rate, subscribe and write us a review and help us get the word out. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.